started or who you could say maybe invented fear? Hmm. Did he? What do you say? I ain't given him power to create nothing. That's right. He's a mimicker of stuff. Get, get, get me now because I'm with you. Your first thought. And you kind of got set up on the trap. I knew a lot of you were going to say Satan and think that, right? You, you, you kind of said he's a mimicker of stuff. That's all he is. So therefore then, now think about it. You got to swallow some of your little beliefs and your little happy tales and all that stuff. Who invented and started fear? God. But what did he say? Fear who? Fear me is what he said. Or fear him, yes. All right? You want to know what gets, and this ties right in with where we're going. You want to know what's got this country and is getting his country in a whole heap of trouble? It's when we start fearing the wrong thing. It's when we do give Satan that right of like he's a inventor of fear, a controller of fear, and we forget he can't invent and do diddly squat. He's a mimicker of these things. And when we put our fear in the wrong position and we start fearing the wrong stuff and we start worrying about the wrong stuff, well, we get chapters like chapter 13 and we get stuff like what goes on in our world on a daily basis today. So my challenge is this, guys. Let's not go as far as they went. Let's stop it before it goes too far. Let's get our fear and our respect, our reverence for the Lord back in the right spot so that we don't allow a mimicker of fear to put a mask on and scare us on things we shouldn't be scared about. Stop scaring our children into things they shouldn't be scared about. Stop scaring our spouses on things they shouldn't be scared about. Stop scaring believers about things they shouldn't be scared about. Now I'm with you because I'm a good old redneck boy too, but you know the funniest thing to me was after this stupid election thing when they started showing all the gun stores and lines around them and, and, and selling out here and selling out there of, of all this stuff. And I got some guns, all right? So I don't be thinking I'm one of them people that don't. I got plenty of them, all right? And I got plenty of ammunition too. But <laughs> my thing is I didn't run down to the gun store and buy them all at that moment because I was afraid that some politician that I promise you the Lord's sovereignty knew was going to get in if he gets in, what was going to be there. It was not fear that should be promoting us to do this kind of stuff, but it's funny when we think about it, right? We're so afraid that we're going to lose control. You never had control. God's got control, okay? And that's the same thing that gets Jeroboam and Rehoboam and all the Boam brothers and a whole, and I know they're not brothers if you weren't here last week, all right? But that's what gets them in a whole heap of trouble, man. So, so let's look at this thing. Chapter 13, it picks right up where 12 left off. If you didn't get last week, please at least grab this one sentence from 12. In chapter 12, we don't see the worship of false gods. We see the false worship of the true God. Now you got to get that right, guys, because it's easy to look at chapter 12. Oh, he invented an idol. No, no, no. He knew, as weird as it sounds, he did not invent them idols to be false gods. He's manipulating what should be true worship into false worship. And that's what gets them in a heap of trouble. And the reason that's so important is because I believe that same thing goes on in churches today and the lives of believers today. All right. So that's why we got to grab a hold of that. So chapter 13, today we jump in. I, I, I wrote this down from a very first note this week. You'll like it, right? God don't play that game. Right. That sounds real spiritual. Yep. God don't play that game. He don't play that game of messing up his worship and changing his word and going against things that, that he commanded. And he said, that's the way it should be. So we jump into 13, first two verses. What's God do when he don't play that game? Number one, 
He sends a right man to give the right message. Now, now I kind of got a kick out of it because who was, now you got to go back a couple chapters. So if you hadn't been with us, you might have to have the cheek back and look at the cliff notes of this stuff, right? Who was it that this guy was so afraid of from the very beginning? The kingdom of the south. Remember, the very first thing he does, he sets up these borders, he sets up military personnel, and he begins out of fear, fear of the wrong thing. Remember, because God already promised him, if you just do it my way, I'll take care of everything. Right? I will make your nation greater to be greater than it's ever been. He's got all those promises. But he gets fear of the wrong thing, and sure enough, who's the messenger, or where's this messenger coming from? Judah's them southern boys, all right? Y'all, y'all should like them, right? Y'all should get that right. The southern boys got to come up there and get it right. What this tells us this, though, at the very beginning of this chapter, God sees no qualified messengers in the northern kingdom. And God's not going to play with pretenders. So and I point that out, that pretender thing, because if you remember what Head just read, and I know the rest of you that have read this week, you're thinking, hold on, there was a man of God there, was he? Was he a man of God? Because I'm thinking if he was a true man of God, God would have used him and he would have been open to hearing what was supposed to be going and he'd already been preaching against this stuff. What I think is maybe he used to be a man of God or maybe he was a pretender of a man of God or maybe he was a man of God of this new religion that Jeroboam had allowed to come into the kingdom. But I don't think he was a true man of God because God didn't use him and God don't use pretenders. So we get this. God grabs this boy from the south. He says, southern boy's got it going on. You know what's up? So let's go give this thing, right? And this is sad, man. This is, this is a sad state of Jeroboam's kingdom and where the, where the nation is going. But another thing I got to point out at the beginning, what's this guy's name? Jot it down in your notes so you got it. Who's got his name? Nobody got his name? No, nah, because all we get is what? A man of God. He's anonymous. I love it because of this right here. God takes an anonymous man and uses him in a great and important way. Meaning this, you ain't got to be some famous fella or some famous lady to be used significantly by God. It's just it's just such a simple lesson to grab a hold of because I hear people all the time thinking, oh, God's got to put me in that position or God's got to do this or God's got to. No, no, you don't have to be in a position to be somebody God can use. You just got to be willing and obedient to be somebody God can use. All right. And that's where this guy is. So he's anonymous. We don't even get his name written down. Right. Verse two. What's his message? He says, behold, a child. By the name of Josiah, he's going to be born to the house of David. So he's talking to the king now. You got to get this. The king who's afraid of them southern boys. And he's telling him straight up. So y'all don't get it because, you know, it says the house of David. The house of David is still where? That's the southern boys. Right. So he's telling him somebody from them southern boys is going to have a kid who's going to come over and take over your house. He's going to wipe the floor with you. He's going to he's going to take out all these priests. And all these high places and, and everything that you've been burning in this altar and all this stuff. Right now, he's talking to the king and saying this. But you got to pause right here just for your note takers to understand. This is a prophecy that will come true 340 years later. All right. So 340 years later, Second Kings chapter 23, verse 15, it documents exactly what happens. Somebody's born, somebody's named Josiah, and somebody comes on in and does exactly what they were supposed to do and what they were prophesied to do. And I'm going to tell you right now, when we talk about politics and all this stuff, being lined up exactly on time for God, we as believers, as kingdom-minded people, we ought to be praying for some Josiahs. I'll tell you right now, we ought to be praying for a Josiah to be born, for a Josiah to come in and take, and, I, and I'm not above saying this right here, because I believe, I don't know if you guys believe in the sovereignty and the complete power of God, I believe in that. So I'm not above saying that God can't use whoever gets ready to get into that house here in, in, in a couple months and, and do this Josiah type thing of taking stuff over. 
Because I serve a God that can change the heart of any man. Any man. Okay? Now that takes a lot because I'm going to be honest. I'm not a fan of the other side. But God's opening my eyes to see that he's a fan of all people. And if he's a fan of all people, then I better get on board with being a fan of all people. And if he's going to allow somebody to get to a position, while I may not like the person, I better respect the position. And I better respect the power that he can use through that position. And others that he places in that cabinet along with that, okay? So we've got big stuff that can take place, guys. Stop counting God out because it didn't go the way you thought it should go and you were afraid of the outcome and you're afraid of what's going to happen and all that, okay? It's going to take more than that to stop what God's got going, okay? So we ought to be praying for some Josiahs because we've been as a country in our own idolatry for far too long. Thinking, no, we don't have idols, Pastor. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Look around, man. It's the greatest season of all. Don't get me wrong. But have you ever looked at a football stadium? Just sit back and look at it. What does it really look like? You've got multi-million, billion-dollar stadiums getting built. They look like these crazy temples that would have been. I mean, think about it. You've got 90 to 100,000. Well, now because of COVID, you don't. But you had 90 to 100,000 people cheering for a bunch of guys in tights, (laughs) painting their faces, going crazy, selling and willing to do anything they can. we got tattoos of them all over. I mean, think about it. We've gone crazy for athletes. Now, I'm not to tell you sports are evil or sports are wrong or anything like that, but anything that takes over dominance of the place of the Lord is something we should be aware of. Now, that's a funny one, and that's one we can just relate to because of the season that we're in. But what else is taking the place of the Lord in your life? What pursuit? You know, we talk all the time, oh, we live in America, we have the, the pursuit of happiness. Is the pursuit of happiness replace the Lord for you? Because you get happiness through the Lord, right, as believers, but the pursuit of that happiness should not be replacing the Lord. Now, that could be in a boyfriend, girlfriend, children, job, career, money, house, car, location, whatever. we got to be aware of this stuff, man. And we need somebody like Josiah to come on in and change the course of this nation. Now, what I love at this part right here, what, why he is throwing all this out, who's he talking to? Anybody catch it this week? Nah, he ain't even. It took me a little while to catch it. He ain't even talking to Jeroboam. Who's he talking to? Read it. A man by the name of God came, however, from Judah to Bethel. The word of the Lord, Yahweh, while Rehoboam was standing beside. So, so this guy, talk about God don't play with pretenders, right? What's Rehoboam pretending to be? A priest. Because what's it say? He's standing there burning incense. Whose job is that? Priest, you got to get all the details. If we don't get the details, see, we're not from this culture, so we don't get it. If we're not from all the, from the culture, we don't get some of the details, we miss some of it. So this is why it's significant. Now I ask you, who did he come to talk to? Verse 2, and the man of the Lord cried out to who? Uh-uh. To the altar. He's talking to the altar. Now get this, because i got a whole bunch of things just thinking in my head right here. I'm like, God ain't even playing with the guy who's pretending to be a priest. You're not even worthy of me talking to. I mean, do you get it? Do you really see what's going on right there? He's saying, you know what? If you're going to pretend to be something you're not, I ain't even going to send my servant to talk to you. But you will hear what he has to say while he talks to what? Because what did that altar begin and start doing? Think about last week and, and maybe some other weeks as we, we've transitioned here, unfortunately, from true worship to false worship. It's a false altar, guys. Everything about it is false. It's got false gods on it. 
It's got pretenders on it. It's got false people pretending to be priests. It's in the wrong spot. The wrong people are, are in there. I mean, you got to really go back and study where people were even allowed to be when we talk about the house of God and, and the temple of God and sacrifices and, and all that kind of stuff. It is way deeper than what you and I are looking at. But here, it's just a party for everybody. Now, you want to know why people like that? Because who, who doesn't want all the rules taken away, right? Right? Some of us, some of us are dumb enough. You know, there's other states. I didn't notice the other day. I thought a guy was lying to me at the shop when he told me. There are states right now trying to legalize all drugs. Now you can argue like some of the stuff with weed. I mean, I'm not, I'm not arguing that in here or anything like that. All right, but but they're legalizing everything. I'm talking like cocaine, crack, you know, heroin, everything. Yeah, one has already done it. That's right. Now that blows my mind. But you want who who votes for that? Why why would they like it? People who don't like the rules, right? Why do you think our nation is turning toward things that most of us at least disagree with? Because as a majority, the nation don't like the rules. And whether you like it or not, the rules for the other parties are beginning to change. Hey, the rules for your own party are probably beginning to change if you want the truth about it. I think they're all corrupt, right? But we can get off of that and just get back to this, right? Right? Hey, this is more than a pronouncement of judgment Against the altar, this is showing that this this thing that, that you've been so worried about, Jeroboam, it's going to come. So let's see, say the ruler of Judah from the house of David. This is a special rebuke, man. And what I what I really like about this, maybe this is just the evil side of me, okay? Because last week we got this guy so afraid of the neighbors to the south that he, that he that he gets that fear, fear of the wrong thing, right? This isn't going to happen. We know because I just said it, and some of you already knew. This isn't going to happen for another 350 years. Y'all think Jeroboam lives that long? No. So what do you think that guy was living like every day? This is the evil side of me. I'm just being honest. He was in fear every day. Is today going to be the day that, that the people from the South, you know, could you imagine every day when your fear's in the wrong thing, though, that's what you do. When you've got fear in the wrong thing, you're afraid every day of something you shouldn't be afraid of. And that's where he's at. Every day he's wondering, is this going to be the day that they come? Is this So up until the time that he lays on his deathbed, he's still afraid. It's almost like this is kind of a, an immediate judgment that God puts on him, really, when you think about it, right? Because God knew his heart. God knew how it would be. You're thinking, man, that's rough. Yeah, but he's got so, and I'm, I'm going to fill it in with you. You know, if you saw the Facebook post yesterday, is this grace or is this punishment? God's got so much grace for Jeroboam. I mean, there is more grace in this chapter. So a lot of you read it like I read it in the beginning. You're like, man, that's violent. That's that's wicked. Like, God was getting down to bit. Yeah, but there's so much grace. So much grace is crazy. And I'm going to point it out to you. Look at three through five. So you got this guy living in fear because everything's going on. Verse three, it says this. He gave a sign that same day. So yeah, 350 years it's going to be before it actually happens. But I want to give you a sign. And what's the sign he gives? Very first one. For you present day hearers, this immediate sign. Surely the altar shall split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Can you imagine witnessing this? Right? I mean, imagine this. This is taking effect so much, so much that the king, the king's about to lose his lid. A pre, you know, we got a couple, jump a few verses forward since we read the whole chapter, we can do it, right? You've got another man of God, quote unquote, however loose you want to use it, whose son saw this. They get so excited about seeing the power of God again. That shows you what daddy wasn't doing at the house if he was a man of God. They get so excited, they run back and start telling daddy about it. Now that's a few verses later, so, but we got to get all that's going on at the same time. So you got a king that's getting mad. You know, and we know he gets mad because what's he say? Arrest that man. He's done. Right. When you disagree with somebody, you just arrest him. That makes perfect sense. Right. Then you got something that's going to come up in a few more verses. 
You, you've got these dad, these kids. They run back at dad. I know you say you used to be a man of God or you pretend to be a man of God or maybe you just wearing this cloak and rocking around here. But that guy, that guy's got the real power of God going and they get daddy interested. Daddy comes and checks it out here in a few. But before that, before that, look at this. Joe, Joe Bohm's reaction was immediate. Now, we use that sometimes as a good thing. God calls us to react immediately. But his reaction is so wrong. What's his reaction? Look at it. Silence the messenger rather than respond to the message. How often is it you and I want to silence the messenger rather than respond to the message? We don't like it, so we change the channel. Right? We turn the radio dial. We stop the podcast early. We hit pause. We turn the volume down. We just start tuning out the pastor or the Sunday school teacher or whatever else is going on. Right? We don't like the message, so we silence the messenger. Or we just run him off and get rid of him. That's right. Uh-huh. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to respond to the message. Look, look, look at this. You, and I told you this, was, this had so much of God's grace in it. Here it is, guys. This prophecy from the man of God, like all messages I fully believe in, in, in errors like this, is an invitation of repentance. It's an invitation of repentance right here, guys. And obviously Jeroboam doesn't accept this, but look at what he's seen up to this point. He's seen a man of God come and preach. That should have that did something, right? You've seen a man of God point to an altar and it begin to crack and do exactly what that man said was going to happen, right? Then, then you want to respond the wrong way, right? You want to respond the wrong way, but see what happens in verse four. His hand stretched out toward him and it withered so he couldn't pull it back to himself. Now, I don't know exactly what the verse meant. People would do it. Did it wither like a tree or it was paralyzed? How about that? I'll just call it, call it for what I understand it as to be, okay? It's paralyzed. He can't move it. He can't bring it back. He can't do anything. Is that not just another miracle of God? Right? I mean, if you just now watch a man of God come in and preach, a man of God call out an altar, you know, being broken and, and stuff going on there, and then you point at him because you don't like him and God, you know, you can't move your arm and, and your hand's frozen. And uh, man, I'm thinking like God is pouring grace on this guy. I'm thinking over and over, like I went back and wrote it in my notes, like, Jeroboam, when will you receive the grace of God? And I wonder sometimes in our real life stuff, if we're not the same way as Jeroboam, God's pouring out his grace repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And you and I just refuse to listen to it. Huh? We try to silence the messenger or whatever it is. Right. Right. He judges disobedient king at this exact moment. He fulfills this immediate word at altar. And then you get verse six. <laughs> Could have been the greatest turning point in Jeroboam and the northern kingdom's lives. Look at what he says in verse six. Then the king responded to the man of God. We still don't get his name. Plead for the favor of the Lord. Your God. Because see, people read this and they're like, oh, he's got a repentant heart and a turnaround. No, he doesn't. What did he say? Plead out to, 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 to the Lord. Your God. He's not my God. He's admitting it. So at least he's honest on that, I guess. But but he's still not saying, like, like can he be my God or, or will he be my God? No, he's saying, will you cry out to your God? I, I'm thinking, that I'm telling you, I'm evil in this chapter, guys, okay? Like, I'm, I'm thinking about the punishment he's got, like, he's, he's withering and thinking on his, on his bed all the time, like, scared to death, right? Here, I'm thinking this right here. If I was the man of God, here's my response. I'm just being honest, right? Why don't you go get your golden calves you made last week? Right? <laughs> now, that's wrong, and I should repent. Now, I might later. But for now, I'm just being honest and telling you my first thought that comes in my head, right? 
I'm thinking he should have looked at him and be like, hey, go get, go get your golden calves and try them out. Why don't you ride down to Dan and, and try out a new location if this location ain't working for you, right? But, but what happens? And here's what's awesome, man. So, so you got more grace because what happens? What happens? We read it. His hand's restored. The guy who was, now understand, the guy who was arrested is now a, a prayer intercessor for the guy who arrested him. We're seeing the gospel played out in the Old Testament since y'all didn't think the gospel was there. <laughs> okay. Since so y'all didn't know y'all thought the gospel was like a new idea that was coming up. Nah, God ain't got new ideas. Right? Think about it. We got the guy, we got a guy who is persecuted praying for the persecutor. And not only that, we have a God, one true God, at least he did acknowledge that Yahweh, who is hearing that prayer and responding as well. Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking at this point, like even God himself could have just come down and be like, yeah, right. I answer some, but not this one. My answer is no. Right. I don't have to say yes. He just says, I will answer your prayers. Right. His, his answer could be no, but, but it's not, it's not, it's not. He, he goes with this thing. And I just think it's funny that, that something we wanted, that when, when something we want to make sure you get this right, that something, when, when we wanted something and it doesn't work out the way we wanted it to work out. We'll go back to doing it the other way. You notice that? I mean, he created his own religion. He's got his own own little golden calves and all that stuff, but they're not working for him. So now he transitions and, and goes back to what he was supposed to have been doing. But here's the sad part. And tell me, tell me this. We, we look at Jeroboam from the outside of the store and we think it's horrible. We do the same thing. Unfortunately, we usually only return back long enough to get the miracle or the healing that we needed. And then we're right back to our own stuff again. Right? That's it's sad, but it is true. These chapters are going to show that Jeroboam, he, he doesn't repent here at all. He's calling out on God. He, he, he's hoping to receive something. And let me, let me make sure we understand this as believers, okay? Receiving something from God is not the same as repentance. All right? On, on many levels. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him. This, this, this is loving those that hate you right here now. On, on, on many levels, right? This is a great mercy of the man of God and, and, and God answering this prayer. God did... This. Now you wonder, why did God do this? Here's why. I think the first part, at least for me, he did this to assure that man that God also was the one who did the punishment. Right? Because if God didn't heal him then, he could he could eventually change the story and made it to whatever he wanted, right? But no, God says, I, I will also heal when you call out on my name because I want to make sure you know I was the one who caused the punishment as well. Okay? You, you've also got that, and I'll give you better now, maybe for a glimpse of a moment, the guy had something going on in his heart. Obviously, it doesn't stick. OK, so, so so maybe you got that. And then you also got this. If the Lord wanted if the Lord's desire is for people to repent, what a better way for repentance to happen than right after a miracle. Right. I mean, the, the door is so open for this guy right here. It's like, yeah, yeah it, it blows my mind. And, and I've been there. So don't think this is like an Old Testament thing. I, I was at a hospital where they were cutting the machine off on a lady. Where the family called me and said, I mean, you need to leave the shop. We, we, we just want you to come down and pray. Da, da, da. And I prayed. And she sat up when they cut the machine off. She didn't die. Amazing, right? Like, oh, man, wow, all nurses, everybody going crazy. Holy cow, da, 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 da. Less than a year later, I watched that lady get right back into the same crap to put her into bed. And still in it to this day, by the way. Okay? So, so don't think this is like something that happened back then. God performs miracles all the time to give us an opportunity of repentance. And so many times we don't hold to it. 
We get that little, why? Here's why. Same thing as Jeroboam. We want the gift and not the giver. We want the presence and not the presenter. Huh? That's exactly what's going on right here with him. That's that's where he's at. Then you get to verses 7 through 10. This reveals what I was just now saying about his true desire. Because what's he say when he gets to the man of God right after him? Verse 7, I'll give you a reward. He's already trying to tempt him to manipulate his ways. Think about it. That's probably how he's gotten all the people that he's gotten up until this point. You know, I'm going to manipulate you. I'm going to corrupt you. Right? I will give you a reward. Da, 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 da. Yet there's no repentance. There's no follow through on the message that the man had just preached. So he's not saying, man, you've changed my life. Da, 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 da. He's just saying, man, I, I need, I need that power you got to come on over and be on my side. Verse eight. It, 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 and I love the, the, the man of God's response. If you're to give me half of your house. Now that's big time when you're talking to a king, right? You're to give me half of everything. I still wouldn't go with you. Nor would I eat your bread or drink your water in this place. Why? Because at that time frame, think about it. When you sat down to eat with somebody, what was that? To people that saw. It was a covenant. It was a sign of acceptance. So he's saying, I'm not going to sit down and eat with you and let, the, let, let people see that I am in agreement with your idolatry. Right? That's why sometimes you got to be careful who you eat with. Huh? Not saying you can't preach to them. Not saying you can't chat with them. Somebody got to be careful who you eat with, though. Right? That's a whole other thing. We'll stay away from that for today. 11 through 17. Then this old prophet invites his man. So, so he does good. He, he, he says, King, no way. Right? Which, which is awesome in itself because you think the king could, could really do whatever he wanted to do at that moment. Right? With this. Verse 11. Now an old prophet, we don't get his name either, who still dwelt in Bethel. Who, I, I, my first thing I jot down, I'd like to share my first question with you guys because it gets our brain going, right? Where has he been this whole time? First thing when I, when I read, hold on, there's been a man of God there. Where's he been? Like, what's he been doing? Probably sleeping. And then I think about, I, I'm serious because, because my first thought, I'm with you, because my first thought went to then the, the, um, the disciples where, where Jesus, he tells them, please just, just pray for me. I, I need this right now, right? And he comes back and what are they doing? Sleeping. So he wakes them up again and he tells them, man, I'm telling you, like, I, I'm in, I'm in a spiritual struggle. I, I need, now this is, can you imagine God telling you like he's in the spiritual struggle, right? I'm in this spiritual struggle right now. I need you guys to pray for me. And he, and he comes back and what are they doing? And the third time, sleep. And finally he says, yeah, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. I wonder how long this guy was even willing before his flesh got weak. Right? What's he been doing this whole time? Where has he been? I don't even know if he was a real prophet. Perhaps, maybe, and I don't know, but perhaps he was just one of the made up prophets that Jeroboam had ordained. Remember, Jeroboam's going to ordain his own people. They ain't got to be from the tribe of Levi or they ain't even got to be believers. Right? He's going to ordain his own people. So maybe he's one of them guys. I don't know. Now it says old prophet. So I kind of lead more toward the fact that he was one of the original people that probably did have a strong relationship with the Lord and something fell off. Maybe because he stayed in an area he wasn't supposed to stay in and he got corrupted by the crap all around him. Maybe there's a lesson for us, right? You stay around stuff, it'll corrupt you and pull you away from where you're supposed to be, right? But what does he tell him? He goes, man, now you can picture this guy, right? Now you got to get the whole scene. We, we read through it, but we don't really get the whole scene. His kids have already ran back to tell him. Don't forget that part of it, right? Uh, to me, that's the most significant thing. I don't know about the rest of you daddies, but, but if my kids had to come and tell me how awesome another man is, I'd like to punch that guy in the throat, right? You know what I'm saying? But I, I'm just being honest. Like the man inside of me, I'm like, no, I want my kids looking up to me. Like I, I want them going out and telling their buddies. You know, about me, like the other day, one of, uh, I guess because I'm bald, one of Paxton's uh, ball team members, he goes, hey, man, was your dad a Marine? 
Best answer ever, though. You ain't heard it, right? That goes, nah, but he's in the Lord's army. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Flexing on him. <laughs> but, but think about that. that. That's what I desire. Like, I want my kids looking at me like I'm a hero. Now, I know they're not always going to, okay? I'm not that dumbfounded. But that's what I want. So, so for me, this scene right here, when I because I'm a picture guy, man. When I picture this scene and I know his kids had to come back and tell him how awesome another man was. It's like, if that don't work for you, how about your wife coming home and telling you how awesome another man is? Oh, I'll get you real with your emotions, right? That, that's in essence what his wife could have been there. I don't even know. Everybody in the town knows about this thing that just happened, right? So maybe his wife and his kids came back. Maybe his kids are bragging about it and then his wife says, you should have seen him, baby. Like the way he pointed at the altar and it cracked open. He was such a mighty man. Bring him over for dinner. Right? And I don't know the guy's motives. But that's what he says in verse 15. He finally gets to him. He rides up, rides up to him, catches him. And he says, I want you to come and eat with me. I want you to hang out with me, right? What, what I do kind of like, though, is perhaps there's this guy who did have this relationship with God. And he had lost some of it. And he saw the power of God working again. And it sparked something in him. So maybe it's not just the, the, the evil side. Maybe, maybe there is a little bit of good going on right here for just this, this brief moment, right? Maybe he's like, man, I, I miss getting to see the power of God. I miss feeling the power of God. And I, and I want to be around it again. But look at verse 14, right before verse 14, it says this. And he went after the man of God and he found him sitting under an oak. Now, I read that all week and I, I'll be honest, like I didn't, I didn't grab nothing from it until yesterday on this verse. But then, then it hit me. Like this guy must have been so tired and worn out. Think about what he did now. He came to the town. He preached the message he's supposed to preach. He, he told the king no. And he turned around. And he's going home. He, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever been that kind of like spiritual, emotional, physical tired. Right. But when you get there, it's like it's a real thing. And it's a good thing to be there. Like it really is. I mean, you've done you done what you're supposed to do. Right. And, and he's turned around. And he's finally made. I don't know how far he made it, but he made it just a little bit away from town. So nobody's near. It, and he sees this oak tree. Oh, I'm so tired. God's told me I can't eat where I've been. I can't drink where I've been. So I, I just need to sit and I need to run. I mean, this, this is real. Like, just because you're doing something for the Lord don't mean, like, real life stuff don't happen, okay? So, so he's really hungry. He's really thirsty. He's really tired. And he sits down and he rests. Verse 14, and, and the, man, the older man of God went after him and found him, the younger man of God, sitting under an oak tree. And he said to him, aren't you the man that came from Judah? How tired, how wore out was this guy? He had given up great personal, physical sacrifice, right? Understand, sometimes God calls you to give up great personal sacrifice. Sometimes you don't even know what God's going to call you to sacrifice until he calls you to sacrifice it. Imagine that. You don't get to like predetermine, oh, well, God, here's the list of things I'll give you, and here's the things I'm not going to give you. That's not real sacrifice. Right? Sometimes you don't know to the moment of exactly what it's going to be. You don't, you don't know exactly what he's going to ask you to go through, what comfort, what, what, what reality, right? No one knows it. And it may have been that this man of God was just so tired and so hungry and so thirsty. At that moment, he was just looking for a good meal. And while the spirit was willing, maybe the flesh did get weak. I don't know. I don't know. Right. It may have been because it's an old prophet. And he's thinking, man, this guy's a prophet. Like this is a man of God. I can trust him. My goodness, if we ain't seen the men and women of God corrupt more than the men and women who are against God. Right. What I do know is this, whether we like to line it up this way or not, he chose man's word instead of God's word. And that's what gets God furious. Right? 
We do it today in so many different ways, man. We trust a preacher. We trust a prophet. We trust a politician. We, we trust them because they got a good story to tell and it relates to us. And they, they, then they can justify their actions and we can get what we want. We can find excuses, right? I wonder sometimes for, for you and I, if we've been on mission for God, that we just stop too early to rest. And it's in that moment of rest that the enemies come in and deceive us. Right? Remember, he's a mimicker. That's all he is. But, but it's easy to mimic and it's easy to fool when somebody's in a struggle. And I wonder if some of us would have just kept going instead of stopping so early, what we could have really accomplished, what we could have did next for God. But because we were tired, because we wore out, we stopped too early. And because we stopped too early, we fell. You could say it this way. Yesterday's triumphs are never going to be sufficient for, for tomorrow's trials. Yesterday's triumphs will never be sufficient for tomorrow's trials. This old prophet, man, he, he missed the power of God so much that then he makes up a lie. Now, I don't know where this guy was. And I'd like to think maybe there was some good and bad going on. But, but now here he's transitioning the other way, 18 through 19. And here's what's bad. You know, it's one thing when you lie. It's another thing when you turn God into a liar. Right? I mean, that's where he's at. That's where he's at. And all of us had that same reaction just now, right? And we kind of hit on this Wednesday night for, for some stuff, which I love, by the way, for two reasons. One, all of you knew exactly what I was meaning, which is, is a miracle just in itself. But but the second part of it, you know how many verses I got texted to me Wednesday night? For those of you that don't know, and to keep it in perfect PG context, we talked about sexual integrity. We talked about the literal phrase of sex before marriage and all that kind of stuff, right? Man, I had more Bible verses texted to me Wednesday night than I read in a week. I started showing Crystal. You know what my wife says? I love my wife, man. She's so smart. She goes, that's a spiritual victory for a pastor. I said, yep, because I got him checking out the word of God. Right. I got him investigating scripture right now to see if what I said was right or wrong. They ain't never checked it out and they checking it out the day, though. Right. You want to get somebody to check something out? Just challenge what they used to believe or what they still believe. I don't know. Right. Get them to check it out. So. So anyway, that, that was that was something on my own. But, but that's what she said. And here's what I like. You guys just had that same reaction when I said we lie about God. You realize we lie about God sometimes with good intentions. I mean, take that phrase from Wednesday night. Don't have sex before marriage. It's not in scripture. Not word for word. Nine. Believe me, I got all your verses. Okay. Don't, don't text them all again. I got them. Okay. I've studied all of it. I promise you. Okay. So it wasn't like I said that phrase without studying. All right. But, but my thing is this. We manipulate scripture to say something. Is that not lying about God? But sometimes we even do it for good reasons. I don't, I don't think we always are as evil as it appears in our head, but do you realize God looks at it? Is that, that evil? Because what does he say? Point blank and clear. Do not change, do not manipulate, don't add to or take away from my word. And when you really get down to study it, he talks about making sure these little circles and these little slashes and all this stuff on these Hebrew words is in the right spots. That's how serious it is. Now, now for those, most of us, at least at least 90 percent of us, we've got no idea how important that little dot or that little line is. But that little dot, and that little line can change everything, you know, kind of like a comma or a period in the English language. You don't get to change the commas and the periods, right? You leave them where they at. But if you change that comma, that period, man, it changes the meaning of a whole sentence. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's what people are doing with the word of God. We lie. That's what we're doing. We're lying about God. What's he say? An angel spoke to me. I'm going to give a benefit of the doubt because there's another scripture that goes the other way, right? Maybe an angel did speak to him. I don't have proof that an angel didn't speak to him. I don't, I don't think he did just for me personally. Because I think the guy's got some self, selfish motives going already. It's been established. 
But I can't call him a liar because angels speak to people, right? Maybe an angel did speak to him. What, what does scripture say about, uh, uh, about the evil messenger? I think 2 Corinthians chapter 11, is that on there? 14 to 15? <laughs> and no wonder for Satan himself is disguised as what? Angel of light. Well, I'll be. Maybe Satan himself just come on down and told that old prophet. I, I'm not saying he did or did. I'm just saying he could have, right? So it is no great thing if his servants also disguise. Oh, so not just Satan, but who else? Satan's servants. They disguise themselves as what? Servants of righteousness. Maybe this guy just became a servant of the enemy to make the appearance of righteousness. Their destiny will be according to their works. God said, you can play that game, but I don't play that game. Right? That's, that's kind of where he's at. So he went back with him. Kind of, kind of where your heart begins to break for this guy. Verse 19. So he went back with him and, and, and he ate bread in his house and he, and he drank water. And you got to ask, what made this guy listen to this lie? So, so just, just quick, if you're a note taker, jot these, jot these ideas down because these, these relate to us. These are application, right? Here's what you need to be aware of. The first thing you got to be aware of is this. We, we know from this chapter, the, the prophet of Bethel was probably older because they called him an old prophet, right? I went to school. I figured that out by tying those words together just that easy. All right, so he's an older prophet, right? So, so here's what this means on a world level. Usually, now I know not today's time sometimes, but usually a, a good young man, he's got respect for, for an older man. So maybe just the respect got him in trouble, though. You got to be careful who you respect. So that's the warning. Beware of who you respect. Now, I don't know which one of these caused him to fall. Maybe it was all of them, right? But one of them could have been respect for a man. The other thing, he identifies with him. I'm a young prophet of God. You are a... Old prophet of God. We're on the same team. Right? So, so he identifies with, be careful who you identify with. Be careful who you identify with. The prophet of Bethel, uh, claimed this spectacular experience. What did he just tell him? An angel of the Lord came down. Can you imagine him telling the story? Now we don't get to know the whole story, but can you imagine like how much he probably told? The sky parted. The angel came down. Light was everywhere. I had to get my coasters on with the 580G because I couldn't couldn't see good enough without them. And, and the angel was speaking. Right? He probably he probably told this story pretty good. Don't you be fooled by stories, though. Don't you get fooled by ex, uh, spectacular events, even if it was a true spectacular event, right? All right. Uh, the prophet of Bell uh, claimed to be speaking for the Lord. You got to be now. That's scary, man. Especially today, because you're like, man, who do I trust? You can't really trust anybody. Greatest preacher in the New Testament. We can all agree it's probably Paul, right? Everybody all right with that? Well, Jesus was from Matthew, which is, yes, okay. Jesus, greatest. Who's the second greatest preacher in the New Testament? Y'all were like afraid to answer right now. Paul, right? You know what it says about the Bereans? They heard Paul preach. They went home and studied to try to prove Paul wrong. Now, Paul's the guy you can trust, okay? We can be in agreement with that. He, he got it together finally. He, he was a knucklehead for a long time, and the Lord had to pave the way for him, but he got it together. But the Bereans still didn't. They went out and checked him out. I challenge you. Go, go check out. Check out a sermon here. Check out a Bible study. Make sure it's true. If it ain't, let's both grow from it. I can only benefit from you checking stuff out. Right? Because I'm man enough to tell you, I am a man. I will make lots of mistakes. Okay? So if you find it, we can grow together. Understand that? Is it okay to grow together? As long as we're growing this way and not this way, I guess. <laughs> Check it. All right. Last thing he does, and, and this 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 relate these two things relate to this phrase. He seemed genuine. 
be careful of things that seem genuine. Because because here's what he says. The prophet from Baal, uh, he didn't seem to be an idolater. Because what's he say? I want to bring you back to my house. We're not going to go back to the king. We're not going to go back to the temple. We're going to go back to my house. And, and what does he tell him? He doesn't offer no reward. He just says, man, I got some food for you. So, so it's not, you know, the king, it's easy. I got a reward for you. You feel, you're like, your red flag goes off. This guy's trying to buy me. This guy said, man, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to reward you. I just got some food for you. You can hang out at the house. We can talk a little bit. So he seems, seems very genuine. All those things are things we got to be aware of, unfortunately, because of the world we live in. Now, I'm not saying those things don't sound good. They do. But man, we, we got to be aware of them, right? No matter how natural and seductive this enticement was, it was the duty of the man of God to resist it. He had a word from God. And nothing should have been allowed to change that. His failure at this point causes him to be useless for God. I mean, really, that's, that's, what, that's what takes place. He becomes useless for God, showing in the, in the thing, right? Why? Because he didn't allow himself to continue to deal with God firsthand. God's not looking for secondhand relationships. All right? God's not looking for, for, for hearsays. God's looking for a firsthand relationship with his children. All right? Stuff that we hear right at. God never contradicts himself either, by the way. Please don't skip that. Because we, we've got a lot of people now who would take a verse from here and a verse from here. Oh, let me show you how God changed. No, God did not change the verse. Okay? Not true. Can't happen. God never contradicts himself. So what I mean by that is this. If God had told him you're to leave without eating there, God's not then going to say, well, come on over to the buffet because you got hungry. Right? No. No, your needs don't change God's word. That's pretty good. I didn't think about that. That could apply a lot. Right? God never contradicts himself. He's true to his commands. He's refusing to, 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 to all this stuff. And, and here's the truth, as sad as it is. Some of us embrace a lie because we prefer to lie to God's truth. Some of us are just okay accepting the lie because we prefer the lie to God's truth. It's not that men and women reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. Men and women reject the Bible because it contradicts them. And that's what we don't like. Verses 20 through 22. This prophet, he prophesizes about the doom of this guy. I wrote down first word, too late, too late, too late, too late. I guess that's a, like six or eight words. But anyway, that's, I just wrote down too late. Because here's what I'm thinking. This poor guy's sitting at the table. He's eating and he's drinking. And the very next thing out of this guy's mouth who just lied to him about God saying come is what? God's going to destroy you. Well, that was good dinner talk. Thanks for inviting me over. Right? But it, but it's too late. By the time now he's sat down and he's eating and he's drinking. And, and, and I just wonder as I wrote down those, those too late, too late, too late, too late. How many things is it you and I decide to change too late? How many words that we speak and it's too late to pull them back? How many stones have we thrown that it's too late to, to, to grab them back? How many promises have we broke that it's too late to make things better? How often is it that we put off things that we were supposed to make right until it was too late and they couldn't be made right anymore? How many too lates is there? And of course, just because we're seeking to who knows how many people that will watch this thing online, how long is it you're going to continue to wait to accept Jesus Christ for who he is and the words of his kingdom and get on board with kingdom-minded stuff before it's too late? Okay? I don't want to be standing there and him say, oh, it was too late. And I don't want nobody who ever heard me speak to do that either. Unfortunately, I also know the reality that there'll be far too many that do. Don't let your too lates happen, man. God judges this man from Judah more strictly. And I, and I, I, I'm just being honest with you guys, right? I've been honest with a lot. I kind of got mad. I'm like, man, I thought you was going to like slap Jeroboam against a wall and turn him into dust. And, and, and I thought that old man who, who had lied about you, like I thought you was just going to come down and step on him. Like another angel, maybe a real angel was going to come in with his sword. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'd already, I'd already got it all, all the wheels is turning, man. Y'all thinking, pastor is psyched. Yes. 
I'm psycho. Okay? I am. But I'm psycho when it comes to scripture because I love it, right? I get into it. Alright? So, so I'm picturing all that. But he, here's the reality. Deception is no excuse for disobedience. Deception is no excuse for disobedience. It's not on any level. And, and we can look at this as, and we can think about all this and, and, and we can think this way like I was thinking, just being, being up front, right? God, you ought to be, you ought to be have some strict judgment for the ungodly. But, but here's what he said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. And it's not about the ungodly. He says, for the time has come for judgment to begin God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? It's kind of like when you begin to work for Kids Haven. You've got to beat your own kids at the house first. Right? Are kids going to get beat if they go back there? No, I don't think anybody beats your little babies, all right? Uh, you got permission to beat all mine, though. Right? Think about this. You know, God's no different than we are when you talk about mimicking a parent. What does he say? For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. You got why, God? Right? Like what? Because I've got a higher standard for my household. Phrase we use all the time. I never understood until I had my own, but parents would always use it. I'm not their mom. I'm not their dad. Right? You use an excuse. Well, so-and-so made a C. And so-and-so did this. So-and-so got a ticket going 70. I only got a ticket going 65. Right? We, we would try to justify everything by what so-and-so did. And mom and dad would always say, I don't care what so-and-so did. They not mine. You mine. How often is it though to God? Looks at us and says, now, I don't know if he could say he doesn't care what they do because he cares about everybody. But how often is it that he looks at us and says, I care more about what you do as you represent me. Your standards are different. We're not settling for mediocrity any longer. Right? God knows this, right? And he knows this also, that the world won't be reached as long as his people live in compromise and disobedience. I think that's the biggest thing. Can't tell you how many people I know that don't come to church because Christians ain't real Christians. And I try to tell them all the time, man, you can't judge that. But the reality is this, they're going to. We, we're supposed to be representative of Christ. We ruin that example. That's what happens, right? Verse 23 through 25, getting ready to wrap this thing up. The, the, the word of the prophet is fulfilled. This man passed, these men pass by. You got a picture of this scene too. Imagine you walking by and on the road, you see a corpse and a lion and a donkey. It sounds like, like a little kid's movie, right? Like what's about to happen? Right? Minus the corpse, I guess. That'd be kind of weird for a kid's movie. Right? <laughs> Sorry. Right? But you got the corpse, the donkey, and the lion. And they're just sitting there together. The lion is not eating the donkey, and the lion's not devouring the corpse. I, I had to write down, because this is a, that lion is on, I need all that. I wrote down, that lion's on special mission from the Lord. <laughs> he is, man. That lion is on special mission, man. And the sad part, when I wrote it down, here's the first thought I had. That lion listens better than the people. Right? Y'all ever thought, man, my dog listens better than my kids? God has the same thought sometimes with his kids. He's like, I got the lion listening better than my own children, right? Then that's what's going on. Now, you know this is supernatural because what would a lion normally be doing? He go eat that corpse, he go eat that donkey, and he go eat everything else he can. Right? That's how they roll. Right. But but it's not someone else's responsibility to see that we follow God's instructions. It's ours. 
So, so this is why God cracks the, cracks the whip right here. And the chapter ends, man. I asked a question last night. Is this chapter more about grace or more about God's punishment? Because all I read, yes, that's the answer. Both. Because as I read it, I'm like, man, God's punishment, God's punishment, God's punishment. But then I sit there and I look like I shared with you guys at the beginning. And I, and I want to remind us of again at the end. All the grace God's got for Jeroboam. He is so merciful. It's so mighty. I mean, look at it. In a couple of minutes, go ahead and begin it. In a couple of minutes, Jeroboam saw two miracles take place back to back. Altar cracked, hand frozen. Then he prays. And he sees another one. His hand gets restored. Three miracles. Then I promise you, because he's the king and he knows what all goes on in his kingdom, I promise you when people came in from walking down that road and saw that corpse and that lion and that donkey hanging out, I guarantee you the king, word made it back to the kingdom. That's what happened. How many times does God have to slap Jeroboam in the head and get his attention? Now, we laugh and we think it's so obvious. How many times does God have to slap you in the head to get your attention? How many times has he been trying to be merciful and trying to throw grace your way and you refuse to accept it? You refuse to get serious about kingdom minded things. We can assume all this, but man, the heartbreaking thing is this. Verse 33. It should have been enough, but it wasn't. Verse 33. Jeroboam returned not from his evil ways. After all this, the verse says, I love how it's written. After all this, after everything that we see that took place, after all the slaps in the back of the head and the, and the elbow drops. Thank God that he's got that much grace and mercy for us because we need it. Man, how many times? For this guy, too late. Too late. He didn't return from his evil way. We see God's judgment take place. We see uh, that works in the power and the ability he would have had to save. But this guy just doesn't return to the grace. And, and the chapter ends with, the, with this other phrase in there, too, that he became one of the priests. Well, one translation says he became one of the priests. We kind of know that from the beginning. We talked about burning the incense, so he's pretending to be. And, 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 and another translation, I think, is probably a little bit more word-oriented correctly. So, so you got he was a priest at the beginning, and at the end, he's ordaining the high priest. Who gave him the right to ordain the high priest? Is he not then again pretending to be and do something that he shouldn't be doing? Yes. He's blurring the line of separation. So, of course, the question then is, what line are we blurring for separation? What line are we blurring? Jeroboam had a great opportunity, man, especially when you think about what this thing started. Go back a couple chapters to chapter 11, verse 38. What did it say? Then it shall be if you heed. This is a man of God talking to this guy before he gets to be king, right? If you heed all that I command you, if you walk in my ways and you do what is right in my sight, if you keep my statutes and you keep my commandments as my servant David did, I will be with you and I will build this house for you. I will take care of it all and I will give Israel to you. I think it wouldn't even have been just the northern king. I think he might have got it all then, right? But he didn't obey God. And you could say it this way. He never fulfilled his potential or the promise of God. And then you got to ask about us. What potential are we not fulfilling? What promise of God are we not fulfilling and not keeping? He, he, people weren't called because of obedience and are not used out of merit. But I tell you right now, disobedience hinders the potential for full use. Once you're called, that disobedience will hinder that potential. Paul says it this way. Second Timothy, chapter two, verse twenty one. So if anyone purifies himself from these things, he will be a special instrument. Oh, man. Not a time that I've gotten ready to speak for God. Has that not been one of my biggest prayers? God, you clean me up because I know you don't want to be in no dirty vessel. 
You clean me up from all the mistakes I made this week and I'll call them out. You want to talk about a rough moment upstairs? And you start thinking about things you did this week and you think about like a little small thing that didn't matter, but you know it matters to God, right? The sin separates us from God. And you'll be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Wow. Yeah. God uses vessels that honor, that are separate, that are usefulness, that are prepared to their fullest potential. I don't want him to look at me after the game and say, you could have did more. You should have played harder. I want to, we use that phrase all the time, leave it all on the field. I want to leave it all on the field, literally. I do, man. I, I want to go out with, with all of it, you know, just, just being, being used as much as it can. Jeroboam becomes the prototype of a disobedient king. It, it, it words it in scripture later on. And, and as he had the greatest opportunity to become great, of course, he also loses that. So his, his opportunity then becomes a curse to all the generations after. Scripture says, and it repeats this phrase over and over again about, um, he tore Israel from the house of David and he made Jeroboam the, the son of this man. His son gets remembered, right? Or his, his sin gets remembered. Jeroboam drove out Israel from following the Lord. He made a commitment to great sin for the children of Israel, walked in the ways of Jeroboam. This is 2 Kings chapter 17. He did not depart for them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he had said, all these servants and the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land as it is to this day. He lost everything for him. Lost everything because of his sinful failure. He failed despite a great blessing in favor of God. A couple chapters ago, we had that. He failed for the sake of political advantage. He, he, wanted, he wanted selfish motives, and his fear was probably losing that. He failed to, to lead an entire nation, and he did lead an entire nation into idolatry rather than to, back into right worship with God. He failed despite specific warnings to repent over and over again. He failed despite specific judgment and deliverance from that judgment, which is just crazy. And he failed despite a clear message and an example of integrity. What, what is it that we're failing on? What is it that God's trying to pour out his grace and his merit over and over and over again? And we're just ignoring it. We're just not taking the, the, the time to see what, what he's working at. How, how, how obvious it seems to us now what God was doing in, in the life of Jeroboam. That, that same that same obvious view is what others see when they look at the life that you're living. Maybe they're seeing the same thing like, man, how can that person not see? Right. How can that person not see all the opportunities God's given them and blessing them? How can they not see where God's trying to change them and correct them and get them back aboard? How can they not see what the word of God says versus what the man of world, man of the world says? Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much, God. God, we pray and we thank you for chapters like this, though we don't like them sometimes. We don't understand them. But God, I know that you want to use them to benefit us as your children. God, I pray that if there's ever a chapter or something written about me, Lord God, that I've learned from the example of Jeroboam and others in Scripture, Lord God, and that just that phrase can be said, he was wise enough to learn from the mistakes of somebody else. God, I pray that same thing over every person in this room, Lord God, that you will make us strong enough, wise enough, courageous enough to learn from the examples of others, to grab a hold of the good and to shun the bad. Lord God, move us in a mighty way which is closer to you Open our eyes, Lord God, to see where you want to use us and help us to fulfill, Lord God, our fullest potential for you and the promises you have for us. In your great and holy name we pray. Amen.